Welcome to the Research in Focus podcast. I'm Susan O'Neill, the Associate Dean Academic and Research for the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. This podcast focuses on in-depth interviews and conversations with our faculty members on their research activities and the impacts of their work locally and worldwide. Hello, this is Foster Ranney, the new interviewer here at Research in Focus. This October, I caught up with Dr. Michelle Pigeon at her office to ask her about her work. In this conversation, we discussed not only some of the history behind Dr. Pigeon's work, but also the international collaborations in which she's engaged, and new directions in her work, such as looking at changes in the research ethics relationship with work by or with Indigenous communities, as well as her work in Indigenous student success and retention. Thank you for joining me today for this interview. I would love to talk with you about your work here at SFU Surrey and anything that you might have coming up in the future or uh, research plans already on the ground that you'd like to discuss. Well, first, um, let me introduce myself. Um, I have Michelle Pigeon, I'm Mi'kmaq Ancestry, originally from Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and I've been with SFU for the last 10 years. Um, and work on the unceded ter- territories of the Coast Salish, so the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Kwantlen, Kaitsi nations. Um, and I think that's important in terms of situating the work that I've chosen to do in my career um, as a person of Indigenous ancestry working in another's territory um, and thinking about the important questions of um, Indigenous education, particularly in higher education, um, and the ways that our systems continue to perpetuate colonial practices that hinder Indigenous student success and successful Indigenous partnerships. So that's a little bit about where I'm from and, and where I how I am here today, I guess. My work as discrete projects, it's a little hard because they're all in some ways connected and pieces. So one one project that I'm doing that's a mentoring opportunity that I was invited into with Mount Royal University um, and my colleague um, Janet Miller there and an undergraduate um, student, Andrea Heron, who are, she came to us with this idea of a project that she was really passionate about and wanting to go on to graduate school and so they asked me to join as a mentoring opportunity to work with Andrea and, and Janet and we've now it was supposed to be a small little project and it's now blossomed into this um, four institution study of looking at indigenous women's experiences as they transition from university into the workplace and so we've been having a lot of fun with that project and also working with folks from UFC. So we both come from back east. Things yeah. are, are relatively different there. Very different. Not relatively. Very. It's shockingly. <laughs> when yeah. I came here and heard the phrase unceded territories for the first time, yeah. it, it changed mm-hmm. the direction of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's very different. Yeah. Well, I come from a place that has been colonized for over 500 years, and there are some First Nations here who've only seen their first non-Indigenous person 50 years ago. 50, so, not 150. Yeah. That history in Canada is very diverse, and how we've experienced. At the same time, mm-hmm. some of the folks, uh, some of the the boat people, British and otherwise, who came over here, uh, by the time that this part of the world was making contact, the industrial era was already in swing, relatively more so than when they came to where I was born or mm-hmm. or to Newfoundland and Maritimes. Mm-hmm. And so, 
uh, the industrial scale was also different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, BC was forged by the railway and the mining, and that's a very different way of industry than fishing. I guess the, the project that I'm engaged in now with and passionate about is, and it builds on some of that, some of my earlier work around institutional responsibility and accountability to Indigenous education is specifically looking at the role um, or the experiences of Indigenous faculty and graduate students across Canada and New Zealand in terms of working with, against, despite institutional REBs or research ethics boards and the commonalities between Indigenous views of ethics and research ethics as understood by, say, groups like the Tri-Council and, more importantly, REBs, so the boards that actually adjudicate ethics applications. And that project's just beginning, and so it's a five-year SHRC-funded initiative that I'm really excited about and also have a real sense of the responsibility of what it means to take that work on. Because part of it is in the mentoring of students and even mentoring of junior faculty. As we invite more Indigenous people into this space, then how are the processes that we run an institution responding to and making space for Indigenous ways of knowing and being. And ethics is one of those major milestones that most of us, if we're doing research with humans, have to undertake um, and do. But when you're Indigenous, and again, this comes from your place, your teachings, your own cultural views, the values that are beholden to you by your nation, So it varies, right? Not everyone has the same experience as an Indigenous person. And so recognizing the diversity of Canada's First Nations and of the Maori people within New Zealand, there's different tribes, there's different cultural protocols that we need to honour and respect. Then how does all that complication of the 60-plus nations here in Canada, the different tribes within New Zealand, how does that influence the ways that we then are viewed and engaged with at that REB level? I'm working with some amazing folks, Dr. Sarah Jane Tiakoi from the University of Hokkaido and Dr. Carl Mika, also for the University of Hokkaido. He's in the Faculty of Education there. Sarah Jane is the Vice Chancellor of Maori. So this idea of holism, what does that mean to an Indigenous person based on their own cultural teachings? And then how does that, from an Indigenous ethical perspective, influence the ways that we do our work and our research? So we're really excited about the opportunity to be able to do this project, Um, a little daunted by the scope, really hoping that it's received well, that we have good uptake from across both Canada and New Zealand, and yeah, really be able to influence some of the policies and the practices. So the work won't just be this academic foray into paper writing, it'll be hopefully intentionally changing the ways that we do things, which is one of the reasons I got excited about the project when Carl and I were brainstorming about it. One of the wonderful things about this this part of the world, mm-hmm. uh, although whatever the limitations and faults there might be, is that it's a government that occasionally funds research into critiquing itself. I don't know what, uh, what becomes of that research because I'm very new here myself. Mm-hmm. But um, People pay attention to it. 
I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. So, what are you hoping that people will pay attention to in the in the work that you've been doing? If I look back at the work I've done, um, not counting the Indigenous Ethics Projects, that's just starting. Okay. Um, if I look at my work on Indigenous student retention or the critiquing of institutions as to what they're doing or not doing for Indigenous students, it might get categorized within the whole um, indigenization of higher ed or decolonizing of higher ed. For one thing, I noticed you've been made the director of Center for Education and uh, Leadership and Policy Studies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There must be a lot of work, so I guess we can all thank you for stepping up into that position because somebody needs to do the work. I've noticed you've done a lot of work in education management as well as student experience, mm -hmm. and so it seems like this teacher, faculty, and, uh, and perhaps the administration side of things is within the scope of your research. I see now that's true, the ethics board is definitely an example of administration, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So uh, how have you how have you learned? This journey must have started a long time ago. I know when I was a kid, I had my scuffles with administration in school <laughs> because... Uh, so, well, my work history. focuses on higher ed, so it's very okay. different than the K-12 um, sector, I guess. And part of my background is I... I kind of cut my teeth as an undergraduate in student affairs and services and was one of the, I think I was a member of the second class of the master's in post-secondary student affairs and services at Memorial University, okay. um, which was the first program in Canada of its kind. So in, in the U.S., the student affairs and services field through master's programs had been established for years um, prior to this. This was in the early 2000s um, and late 90s early 2000s was when I was there for that and that that kind of introduction to student services kind of helped me see um, the broader pieces about being at university and what it meant and then as I was um, as you do when you're in your early 20s, coming through your own understanding of who you are as a person, I just started asking some questions about what what was around, who was around. Um, at that time, you know, it was a while ago now, so it wasn't, it's not the same now. Like, when I was going through university, there was no conversation of Indigenous education. Um, there was no content. There was no faculty. Um, and if you look at Memorial now, it's completely different. They've intentionally created faculty positions, they have content, they, I mean, they did have, um, they're equivalent to Native teacher education program, but that was for, predominantly for Labrador Inuit students. Okay. Um, and so they would come down and do their teacher education and then go back up to Labrador and teach. So, um, you know, it's a, just a different period. And I think when you think about Indigenous education in Canada, you have to see, the generational timeline of where things were happening, um, the provincial context really matters. Um, you know, Newfoundland joined Confederation and Canada in 1949. That's and, right, and so yeah. being a direct British colony up until then. Yes, so our, <laughs> our system was a little different. Um, the way that the university evolved was different. So our university was also only established in 1949 as a condition of confederation. So the ways that Newfoundland has evolved as a province, even in that short time, has really influenced the ways that, you th that you're shaped 
And so I think um, finding out about student services helped me see that there's bigger pictures and it helped also resonate with some of the ways that I was valued, like valued, like so that the idea of the whole student is not just about the intellectual endeavor, it's about their physical, their emotional, their spiritual, and their cultural needs, as well as their intellectual needs. But all of those things um, need to be in balance, and they also all need to be nurtured when they're going through um, K-12 and post-secondary and beyond into the workplace. Um, so this sense of wholeness um, is an important value that I have in my work. Um, it's the way I see the world, I guess. Um, and it then leads to me thinking and influence the way I thought about, well, what does Indigenous student success mean? And then how do we think about that from a Western institutional perspective where most institutions will define a student's success based on a, a good GPA and completing of a degree? where when I talk to Indigenous students, their understandings and conceptions of success are not excluding those things, but it's so much more than that. It's not an individual endeavor, it's about giving back to their communities, whether it's their home community, whether it's their nation, whether it's just being part of, I'm a Métis woman and I want to give back to the Métis nation, or I'm, you know, I'm Gitsan and I want to give back to Indigenous peoples globally, right? There's, there's very, uh, just different ways of thinking about even how we come to understand success um, that I think our institutions in the light of reconciliation um, are starting to pay attention to um, but I would also say that we've been saying this for in, in on paper <laughs> for over 40 years you know, starting with Indian control of Indian education as the first kind of articulated vision of Indigenous self-determination around education um, to more recent documents and research reports and scholarship by other amazing Indigenous folks like Marie Batiste and Joanne Archibald and Jan Hare and Sheila Cote Meek and yeah, the list goes on. So I'm not the first and I won't be the last, right, doing this work and I, and as we say, you know, you stand on those who trained you and I was mentored very well by um, Dr. Joanne Archibald at UBC, that's where I did my doctorate. Um, like it wasn't until my doctoral program that I personally had an Indigenous instructor or read Indigenous content. So coming across her work as a master's student, um, influenced my decision to come one coast to the other and I think that was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in terms of being able to have a community and a culture of support that um, the work had already been done in terms of establishing um, graduate programs, relevant graduate courses for Indigenous students, um, you know, they had the Descal program there that's been in operation for 40 plus years, I think. Um, it's been there for a long time based on the work of Verna Kirkness um, and then Joanne and now Jan. Um, and so those, you know, that training and influence of relationship really has shaped who, who I am as a scholar now and how I view mentorship and research and all those things. So. You asked me earlier, like, this podcast would be heard by probably mostly my colleagues and graduate students, and 
So I guess I would want the podcast to conclude or end with um, people, those listening, um, reflecting on how are they going to help support Indigenous initiatives at their institution. Um, understanding the role of place, the role of one's own social location, whether it's race, class, gender, whatever, in in that work. So uh, you were saying about the the body and the position that we occupy, mm-hmm. how this, this mm-hmm. goes along with some different responsibilities in the sense of mm-hmm. like, what you can actually respond to, maybe. Yes. Well, and I think the responsibility to take up the work of reconciliation um, to create space for and value Indigenous perspectives without co-opting them, I think, is a big challenge that we're um, facing as more and more people want indigenization activities. Um, more and more people are saying, I want to help. Um, and then within that, the, the really good intentions, the really good work that gets done, um, there's also this, and we have this history of having it become tokenized responses versus meaningful change. And I, wanna, I want folks to think about how can they be part of the meaningful change and prevent the tokenistic um, actions that we witness on a daily basis um, at this campus and across multiple other campuses. This global connection is, uh, is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And almost every place on the planet got a little, a little touch of Europe during the 18th and 19th century. So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, yeah, we've all got neighbors now. There's indigenous and settler colonial relationships all over the world. And how do we, how do we come to understand those in the context in which they occurred and be able to not homogenize them? One of the challenges I see is that, oh, you're a colonized too, that must mean X, Y, and Z, and that's not the case. Um, that different, different nations have had different approaches, and they will have different responses to how um, they are choosing to move forward their nation in terms of intellectual development, property rights, land claims, um, education, like all these sectors that are directly um, impacted and related to Indigenous rights, um, I think are important to always understand the role of place and the role and will of the local First Nations, Métis, Inuit peoples that we're working with. And the... um, who's not present in conversations and who is, I think is really important, especially in education. Um, We can't be having these panacea conversations about indigenous education without recognizing the distinct cultural groups in this country and understanding that what works in Iqaluit, Nunavut, is going to be very different than what works in the downtown east side in Vancouver. Um, And if we can't get to that understanding, then we are missing um, a whole bunch of things that the education system has to kind of attempt to redress. Research in Focus podcast is produced by the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. Stay up to date on the faculty by visiting our research website at 
sfu.ca slash education slash research and focus and by subscribing to us on iTunes. Thank you for listening.